Hi, I'm Miranda. And I'm Stephanie. We've been friends for more than 15 years. I live in Ottawa. And I live in Winnipeg. I'm raising two girls. And I'm raising two boys. We're both wives and working moms who do our best to make it all work and to enjoy our empowered lives. We think feminism is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And we love to learn, especially from other women. So we started Women Don't Do That to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. Have you ever asked yourself if it's even possible to be a calm, happy mother? Or maybe you've looked at the state of the world today and wondered if having children has become so risky it's irresponsible. Well, here to give us a dose of reality and hope is Anne Douglas. She is an award-winning, best-selling parenting author and the weekend parenting columnist for CBC Radio. Some of her books include The Mother of All Book Series, Parenting Through the Storm, and most recently, Happy Parents, Happy Kids, which I just read and will definitely read again and again. Anne has been called one of Canada's most trusted parenting writers, and she is our guest today on Women Don't Do That. I'm thrilled. Welcome, Anne. Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. We've been looking forward to it for a while. Yes, yes. Thank you very much for making this happen. I think that your wisdom and experience uh, is really going to mean a lot to a lot of our listeners. One of the reasons why I was so intrigued by the title of your book and why I think this conversation is so important is for a lot of parents today, it can feel like the demands of modern family life are at a point where a calm, healthy home is just not possible. So I want to start by asking you, with all the challenges facing parents and kids today, is creating a happy family a realistic expectation? I think it definitely is. It definitely is not easy. And I think that uh, the only path forward, I think, is to work on what is within our control in our individual families, while also knowing that we're going to need to join forces with other parents in order to make things better. Because some of the problems we're struggling with these days are too big for any of us to solve in our own homes. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. I I loved your advice about uh, creating your village. One quote that was particularly poignant, I thought, was you wrote, aiming to be a happier person and a happier parent can seem like a frivolous aspiration until you stop to consider the far-reaching impact of your happiness on your kids. To put it bluntly, happier parents tend to be better parents. I thought that really summed up the message of your book very well, and I'd love for you to share with us why happiness is an essential ingredient for effective parenting. Well, the happiness is one of those positive emotions that sort of sets up a whole spiral of good things happening. So, you know, you feel happier, you're more optimistic, you have more energy, you are able to take better care of yourself. And that always spills over into your parenting. Because I think sometimes we think that we have like a bucket of how happy we are as parents and a bucket of how happy we are as people and that they're two separate buckets when in fact there's only one bucket. So the happier and healthier you are as a person, the more you have to invest in parenting and it just sets up sort of like a, a positive spiral of of goodness happening in your family. And I, and I don't want anyone to feel guilty if their bucket is 
upside down or empty right now because I have also been in that place, but I do know it's possible to turn the situation around. I love that imagery. I love thinking about it as buckets. I think sometimes as women, when we become mothers, we do we do start to see ourselves like we forget that we were women first, I think sometimes, yes. and that we still are. We still are women. We still are our own person and meeting our own needs really matters. Uh, so I love that message. And you you talk about in the book, you call it the motherhood tax and the daddy bonus and about the science that shows that dads are typically enjoying parenting more than moms. Why is it particularly difficult for moms to be happy? It all comes down to the job description for mother versus the job description for father. And I mean, yes, we have made a huge amount of progress on this in the last generation or two, but there's still a lot of work to do because moms still tend to carry a disproportionate amount of emotional labor. So we're at 3 a.m. realizing that, you know, somebody needed something for school in the morning and wondering what store will be open at 7.30 a.m. tomorrow where I can magically pull this off. It's still skewed in that direction. And then the wage gap also fits in because women tend to make less money than men do in the paid economy. When it comes time for a family to decide who should take the prolonged amount of parental leave after the birth of a baby, most families will look at the numbers and say, well, you know, we actually can afford a little more to be without this person's income or on a reduced income for a period of time, as opposed to this other Mm -hmm. person's income. And so that tends to skew everything in the workplace. So, you know, we know there's some policy solutions that would help with this, but I don't want to get too far into the weeds. But I just think if people are feeling like, how do we fix that? I think we need to be asking our policymakers to do a better job of of fixing some of that stuff for us so that women are operating on a more even playing field, which will benefit moms and dads. Because they also feel a lot of pressure, right? And I I have absolutely heard friends of mine say, and I think I've maybe said this at points too, although I would say my husband and I have a very equal partnership, but they would say, I wish I could just be a dad. I would just, I think I would like parenting so much more if I was a dad. So it was fascinating reading your book and seeing the science that supports that dads really are generally enjoying it more. (laughs) What can we control as moms? Because I agree with you, we need to see change at the policy level, especially for our listeners in the States there's there's really significant change that needs to happen there around parental leave. But what can we do um, to structure our own lives in a way that we're getting more enjoyment out of being a mom? I think a big thing is to allow some white space on the family calendar because I think sometimes uh, we want to give our kids so many opportunities and we want to have all kinds of fantastic memories as a family and even in summertime when you know we talk about being in relaxation mode sometimes it just means it's a different kind of busy but recognizing that when we can slow down we can actually tune into our kids and our families more and really notice what's going on with these people that we love so much and having those moments of connection because when I look back on my childhood 
it's those fun family times that I remember uh, most of all. And I'm talking about both my own growing up years and the years when my children were younger. I mean, so I think just easing some of that pressure on ourselves and recognizing that we can get when we can get to a state of calm a little more often and or in my case I always say calmer because I'm never going to be a particularly (laughs) calm human being I know my limits that if I can slow down and uh, you know put the brakes on my brain a little bit then I can really savor those moments of connection as opposed to feeling like I'm sprinting on a treadmill and that life is constantly getting away from me, which leaves me feeling exhausted all the time. Yes. And it's so hard to respond to your children as opposed to react, right? When you're in that frantic place, you talk about in the book, how being calm is our superpower. And I mean, you've just addressed that a little bit, but I I love this. I think this is even beyond parenting. I think even for us in the workplace and in all areas of our lives, we need to tap into this. Can you just expand on that a bit for us? Yeah, it's magical what happens to the quality of your thinking when you get to that place of calm. Um, There's research to show that you're able to sort of see the big picture view you're able to sort of connect the dots between past present and future and think about the kind of relationship you want to have with your children you know years and decades down the road and just in terms of considering all possibilities instead of reacting on autopilot suddenly you're able to make more conscious and deliberate uh, decisions about your parenting and as you just noted in other areas of your life instead of reacting to that annoying co-worker because hey we all have them then you can sort of say what what is the goal here like what do I want to come out of this interaction and how can I make that happen as opposed to just maybe saying something that you might not feel great about after lunch and I think there's a real connection there too with managing our expectations and not um, not parenting from that place of guilt, right? Because if we can, if we can practice more calmness and intentionality with our kids, then there's less of those moments that we look back on and think, "Oh, that is not how I wanted to treat. That's not that's not how I want to engage with my children." And and then we can get trapped in that place of guilt. And right. wh- what do we do when we get there? What do we do with all of the mom guilt? that we're facing today and just the judgment, the self-judgment, the comparison, how do we fight that? We learn about self-compassion and we practice self-compassion. And self-compassion just basically means treating yourself with the same amount of kindness that you would extend to a friend who is having a hard time. So if your friend turned to you and said, you're going to think I'm the worst parent in the world, you wouldn't be much of a friend if you agreed and said, well, yeah, you kind of are. And yet, sometimes we are so harsh when it comes to ourselves. So it's having a little mantra or something like I always say to myself, I'm doing the best that I can in a really difficult situation. And then just letting that really land with myself and thinking like, yes, I'm going to be kind to myself. And if this was my friend who was feeling stressed out today, what would I say to her? I'd probably say, who cares about the, the mess in the kitchen? Like, just walk away sit down, calm yourself, call a friend for support, like do something that will make you feel better. And don't just dig your heels or your your wheels in the in the muck of guilt and regret. Say to yourself, everybody makes mistakes. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. 
what can I learn from this situation and what could I maybe do differently or try to do differently the next time around? And then it's more of a learning and growth opportunity as opposed to feeling like, oh man, I've already blown parent of the year and it's only the middle of the year. I think that's a really powerful tool, Em. I think that that's something we can all, that that's very practical and doable, right? And ask ourselves, you know, what would I say to somebody else? What what would be a compassionate response that I would give to a friend? And and using that as our self-talk, that can really be a game changer for people. I, I think I think that's fantastic advice. Um, one point that struck me in your book that I think is really powerful because I, I know it's something I struggle with and I see friends and family struggle with is what you call hanging out in the land of unrealized options. Can you tell us what that is and why that's a dangerous place? Right. Well, it's ironic that we're recording this on a Saturday morning because I think this is a time when a lot of people venture to that place of, you know, unrealized options and they think, you know, I love having kids, but dot, dot, dot. Just imagine what my life would be like this beautiful Saturday morning if I hadn't had kids. I'd probably be hanging out at a luxury hotel and there'd be champagne on ice and there'd be rose petals tossed all over the bed. And we sort of get off on this flight of fancy, not thinking that just perhaps we might not have been living a life that allowed for luxury hotel visits every weekend and and that, you know, there might have been other things going on in our life that were annoying. Because it's a false comparison. We can't compare what we know to be true with the best case scenario of what we imagine might have been true because it's a false Mm -hmm. comparison. And I think that if we get down that path too often, we get really discouraged by our lives and we think that our lives are defective just because they're real and they're not. I mean, some of the most challenging experiences that I ever had as a parent were also the ones I learned from and grew so much as a human that I often think that like becoming a parent was the ultimate personal growth opportunity for me. Yes, I I love looking at it from that perspective. I love that you said that because I remember hearing on a podcast once this spiritual guru, he wasn't even a parent, but he just said, if you're in the midst of parenting young children right now, that is all the spiritual practice you need. You don't need to go to a retreat in India. You don't need to meditate with the monks. You have young kids. That is your spiritual practice. That's going to teach you more about about patience and you know channeling your inner strength and calm than anything else will. And that was that was really helpful for me because I you know my land of unrealized options would absolutely be a yoga retreat you know, in Thailand or like this, that's what I would want to be doing. And so I had to tell myself, no, this is, this is really good for me. If I look at it the right way, this is a gift and this is something I wanted. And so, yes, I think that is a great perspective. There, there's a lot of very practical and applicable advice in happy parents, happy kids around mindset and then around time management and communicating with your children. But one point that you stressed is creating your village. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Can you talk more about the the role that we all play in this? Because I think this applies to non-parents as well. Um, And and why it's such a game changer for our well-being and our parenting. 
Right. Well, just specifically talking to the parenting piece, I mean, we were never meant to parent on our own. We were always meant to have other people to turn to for support. And I think sometimes uh, we lose sight of this because a lot of us are, are raising our kids in different parts of the country away from our traditional network of support. And it can feel a little bit risky and scary to try and you know build that village from scratch. But even on a more human level, uh, when we're able to tap into support from other people, everything seems easier and less stressful. I mean, there's actually research to show that if you and I are standing at the bottom of a mountain and we have backpacks on our backs and we look up at the hill, uh, we will decide that that mountain isn't quite as steep and that our backpacks aren't quite as heavy just because we're taking this journey together. And biologists have look at, looked at this and they think that our brains have come to factor in support from other people at an actual physical, biological level. So probably my brain is saying to me, uh, you know, it's it's no problem. My friend has me covered. She'll carry my backpack up the hill if I get too too exhausted <laughs> so I can do this thing. And so I think we have to recognize that that's how it works. And for women, there's a lot of research that shows that we don't just need this village when we're brand new mums. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, joining a new mums group and that kind of thing. We need that support through every stage of parenting and that friendships with other mothers shouldn't be treated as a luxury, but rather recognized as a necessity. Because in the preteen and teen years in particular, uh, that can be emotionally treacherous territory for mothers because your child is beginning to separate a little bit and you can interpret that, or interpret that as personal rejection. So you really need other moms, maybe even a mom who's a few years ahead of you in this journey, who can say, it seemed like the end of the world when my 13-year-old gave me that look and sort of looked at me like, who are you? Why do I even need you in my life anymore? And yet you come through that and you reconnect later on. It's just sort of a little bit of a, a teeter-totter as people, both you and your child, figure out, you know, the new footing of your relationship. That's so interesting how we have that physical response to an ally in our life. I, I know one thing I found from my close friendships with other parents is getting their honest perspective on what their life really looks like, because we see so much on social media today, and, and you write in the book how we compare the worst of ourselves with the best of others. And when you have those real connections with people, they they share with you what's really going on and help to demystify, I think, right? And so you start yeah. to feel like, oh, okay, I'm normal. Like, just because I'm seeing these beautiful family photos at the farm and they went to the petting zoo <laughs> this weekend and whatnot, like, they they struggle too. They fought on the way or whatever it was. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, I remember reading this quote from an economist in the US and he said, don't compare your Google searches to other people's Facebook posts. And the idea was <laughs> that if you type into Google, my family is, you get what's really on people's minds. So you get, you know, defective, uh, you know, dysfunctional, all these negative things. Whereas if you search that on Facebook, you'll get, oh, so loving, so connected, just perfect. You know, all this sort of wonderful euphoric stuff. And it's just because right now, at least until Google does do implants in our brain, um, right now Google <laughs> can't search the contents of our, or, you know, can't share the contents of our actual minds. Only we are privy to those thoughts right now. And and we need we need those real face to face relationships, not just the Facebook friends. 
Exactly. And choose your friends wisely, not just people who are all about the show, people who are all about the heart to heart conversations and admitting to times of struggle. Because not only is it good for you in terms of knowing that everybody struggles, but it gives you the opportunity to provide support to that other person. And that's what sort of weaves that tapestry of relationships together so that when you're having a hard day, somebody else will reach out to you, you know, not just that it's all reciprocal, but like you have this broader network and this feeling of, I will help other people. And then maybe some random other person will help you on your really bad day. That nice stranger in the grocery store who says something supportive and encouraging, like, don't be embarrassed that your child just knocked over that display of cereal. My toddler did that 20 years ago. <laughs> yes, it's it is really nice when people when people in the grocery store actually say something non-judgmental. There needs to be less there needs to be less judgment uh, of yes. you know people giving their unsolicited unkind <laughs> advice, right? You just you don't know what kind of day that parents having or, or or those struggles. Do you have any advice for moms who are looking to grow their village or, or parents? I, I think it can be hard to put yourself out there to be vulnerable to know what to do. Like if your parents live yes. elsewhere or are under your life, how how do you how do you feel? that? How, how, how do you make those connections? Yeah, well, I would just have two pieces of advice. One is to look for opportunities to maybe make some of those connections online at first, because it's a quick way to tap into a huge pool of people. Maybe there's like a meetup group or a Facebook page or something that is for parents in your geog- geographical area, but then look for opportunities to carry those relationships offline so that you can actually be in the same space, maybe organize, you know, a neighborhood picnic or something like that, that sort of brings the people together in real life. And I would say, secondly, to recognize that a lot of parents are hungering for these kind of relationships. It's not just you. I led a parenting talk in uh, Fredericton, New Brunswick a few months ago, and we went around the room and everybody was talking about how lonely and isolated they felt and how hard it was to make friends. And it was like a eureka moment and we decided that there really should be like a speed dating event for parents not to make partnership kind of relationships (laughs) but to make friendships so that you could say wow you know we're both obsessed with books or we both love to quilt or we're family hiking types and then you could say well those are my people I found them and it could just be a simple networking kind of event so I think they were going to run with the idea after the fact. Yes. Well, let us know and we'll definitely share how people could get involved in something like that. Because I, I think you're right. I think there's a, a lot of parents who would, who, who are hungry for that, who are hungry for more connection and more yes. real, honest relationships. Yes. I want to talk now about something that a lot of parents are in the midst of when, when, when this interview uh, plays, it will be time for back to school. And this is such an exciting, fun, terrifying, anxiety-ridden time for parents and kids. And I'd love for you to share, uh, maybe we'll start with actually, what are some common mistakes that parents make at the start of the new school year? I think the biggest thing, and it's just, it's a natural human thing, so it's probably not even a mistake, it's just a human tendency to overestimate what we're capable of doing. I mean, we we do this thing where we think of what was I once able to do on my most productive day ever, and you make that the standard for every day. So you think like, I remember that time when we did like eight events in the course of a week, you know, over the weekend and in the, in the <laughs> evening, and that was not a big deal. And you think, so we'll just do that every 
every week. Everybody can sign up for multiple activities. And then by October, you're completely burnt out and you're thinking, what was I thinking? So I would say uh, think a little more realistically about what typically happens over the course of a week. And when our kids were growing up, I mean, I had four kids, right? We had a rule that people could only do one activity at a time. And so, you know, if you were going to be doing hockey, that's all you could do. If you were going to be doing gymnastics, that, that's all you could do. And we weren't saying for the rest of your life, we're just saying for this semester or sign up period, because you know what, four times one activity is still a lot of activities for the parents to, you know, to try and get kids to and make meals around and, and all that stuff. And um, I know at the time, sometimes, uh, you know, other people would say, well, you know, aren't you worried that they won't be exposed to all these other activities? It's like, well, they have an entire childhood. And I think that having some of that family connection time and not having massively stressed out parents would probably be more beneficial over the long run. I think that's the real takeaway of your book Like, is, is if it's not working for your family, it doesn't really matter what other families are doing or what the expectations are. You have to look honestly at what your capacity as a parent or parents is and, yes. and, and set it up so that you do have time in your life to, to connect, like you said, with your kids, to really engage, to relax. And, and, you know, not to be run beyond your, your capacity, because then you're not, you know, you're not able to parent from that place that you really want to parent from. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that you, you explain that so well in the book. I, and I love that people get to hear this from you. What can parents do to help set our kids up for a successful school year? Um, I think just to sort of help them to learn some of the human emotional skills, uh, like, you know, how to regulate their own energy levels, how to get enough sleep, how to, you know, how to choose foods that won't have their blood sugar jumping up and down like a roller coaster <laughs> ride. It's just some of those basic health fundamentals, physical activity on a regular basis. And, you know, I'm always really open with my kids about the fact that some of this stuff has been really hard for me. I mean, I, I I'm very open about the fact that I completely rejected physical activity until I was about turning 50, like for around that milestone birthday, I decided I should become physically active. And it was only then that I recognized that regular physical activity was the anxiety break I had always needed and, and not known my entire life. And so, so, I think so many moms just let that part of their life go when they have kids, right? It's like the first thing to drop off yeah. the priority list. It's hard. Yeah. And I, I know, like, for me, all four of my kids were going through times of struggle. I mean, I wrote an entire different book about this, but you know, about their mental health, neurodevelopmental and behavioral challenges. And so sometimes I felt like I couldn't even rank on my own to do list. And part of self compassion for me is looking back and saying, you did the best you could at the time. And now the situation has changed. And now you can do better. And there will be some days when you go for your walk. And there'll be other days when you say lightning storm, I'd rather not get a electrocuted so we won't go for the walk today and that's fine it's not about being perfect it's about just trying to be a little more active a little more often and when I first started walking I could only walk for like 15 minutes at a time before I had debilitating foot pain so we start with that baby steps we celebrate those successes and we continue to build on that you mentioned uh, the other book you wrote which I believe is parenting through the storm yeah um, and and I, I'd love for you to give some advice about, you know, sometimes we get started in the school year 
or at, at any phase really, and we see that our child is struggling in some way, you know, with some of those things you just mentioned, you know, a mental health challenge, anxiety, what do we do when we see that our child is struggling? Well, I think a big thing is to join forces with the school. And that means being a positive advocate for your child and going into the school meetings that you have with the teacher, the principal, or the special ed person with a really positive solutions-oriented approach. Now, I am not a Pollyanna here. Like, I'm not just saying you have to be endlessly positive, doing hoops of joy all the time. You will have moments of frustration when you feel like screaming, but you have those conversations behind the scenes with your friends. So that that way, when you go to the meeting, you can really look for solutions for your child. You bring your no- unique knowledge and expertise into your child about your child into those meetings because you are the world's leading expert on your child, and you share what you've learned. I mean, sometimes they'll come up with a solution that you think that would work for 99% of other kids, but that is going to be a complete disaster with my child. And you save everybody a lot of struggle by having that commu- communication and sharing that knowledge early on. And I think that. The big thing is to build the relationship before there are big problems on the horizon because it's hard to build human relationships when things have already really taken a nosedive. And just to, you know, I guess expect or, you know, feel like the other person is doing the best they can. Um, Assume that they have positive intentions towards your child unless proven otherwise. Let your child know that they can also advocate for themselves as they become able and teach them how to advocate for themselves in a way that brings out the best and not the worst in the other person. I mean, we all know how much easier it is when a child is pleasant as opposed to when they're being whiny and demanding. And we can help to equip our kids with those skills by maybe doing a little role playing at home. So lots of things to think about. um, And connecting with other parents who are walking this walk can also be hugely helpful because you'll learn sort of, you know, skills and you'll also learn what's practical and possible in a particular school or school board and environment. Thank you. That's, that's great practical advice. And one quote that you had in your book that I found very encouraging was having a completely stress-free childhood can actually leave you at a slight disadvantage. And I thought that that is really important to remember. And I think it's about seeing those struggles that we're all going to go through and they'll be unique from family to family, but seeing them as growth opportunities for us and our kids, because I think then we can see hope in any situation. I think that's really important and that, you know, that way we don't feel like we have to set up, set the bar for ourselves as I must give my child a perfect childhood because that is not possible. Instead, you can say like, hey, I'm giving them the gift of a gloriously imperfect parent because they can see that (laughs) you don't have to be perfect. You can learn through your struggles. And and so I like to say that I gave my children an incredible gift of imperfection. (laughs) We started asking every guest these final little questions. So the first one that I'd like to ask you is the best rule you ever broke. Wow. Um, I'm, I tend to be a, a rule follower, but um, hmm, maybe the rule that said that you, you know, you had to uh, follow a particular career path and always stay on it because I've made quite a few pr- career pivots over the years like at one point I was teaching in a career a community college and then I decided I really wanted to write books and then uh, you know I've gotten a little bit more into sort of speaking and doing radio and stuff so I think that if I thought the rule was that you know you sort of settle on one thing and you stick with that for a lifetime I probably have broken that rule 
school repeatedly. And uh, oh, I, I know another big one for me was um, I remember my dad uh, taking me for a drive when I was a teenager and sort of pointing out to me the income statistics for Canadian writers. And, and I said, don't worry, dad, I don't need to make money. I just want to be happy. Maybe that was a rule I could have listened to a little more given the economic <laughs> trajectory of Canadian writers. But it certainly served my purpose to, uh, you know, to really follow my heart and, uh, and write about things I'm passionate about, like parenting. Well, you can tell you're passionate about it because you have contributed significantly to the conversation. And I really loved reading a book that was written by a Canadian author and with Canadian statistics. And uh, because a lot of the parenting books I've read have come out of mostly the United States. And so, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that you chose that path and <laughs> good job breaking that rule. Thank um, you. Your, the, the next question is your most valuable habit that was the hardest to create? Definitely being physically active. I mean, I hated gym class so much that I decided that I was going to punish all the gym teachers of the of the world by never being active as an adult. And I kept that vow <laughs> until just before my 50th birthday, when, as we talked about a little earlier, I decided that uh, I did actually need to be physically active and, you know, for my physical health and for my mental health, as it turned out. So that was definitely something that it took me a long time to figure out. But the the benefits are something I reap on a daily basis. I tend to go for two half hour walks a day, you know, divide them into manageable chunks. And uh, I'm so much happier and healthier as a result. And my final question for you today is just what is a book that made you better? Self-Compassion by an author, Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F, and she is one of the world's leading researchers on self-compassion, and when I read her book, it was like an aha moment. It's like, yes, this is the tool that I needed my entire life, and I didn't know that I needed. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, so, you know, instead of bullying myself all the time, why not try being kinder? And suddenly, when you're kinder to yourself, everything becomes possible because you're not afraid to try new things because you're not waiting for that harsh critic to tell you, well, you could never do that. You just do it. There's been so many great takeaways from this conversation, Anne, but I think if that's the only one people walk away with, it is a life changer. Well, thank you for asking so many great questions. I mean, I'm going to be thinking about that rule-breaking question for the rest of my day. I'm going to be thinking, gee, what other rules have I broken, you know? Maybe once I didn't share the Halloween candy fairly with my sisters. I will be thinking about this a lot. So thanks for asking it and for inviting me to be a guest on your podcast, which I really enjoy. Thank you, Anne. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we're going to link to where people can find your book and, and find your websites in our show notes. And I would just encourage people to look for happy parents, happy kids, and look for you on CBC Radio because I've already learned so much from you. And I know I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a lot more from you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Women Don't Do That. We hope you're inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Find all our podcasts and blog content at womendontdothat.com and stay connected with us on Instagram and Twitter. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next time.